Welcome to the Contraception Pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic. I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant. At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on a podcast. So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Contraception Pod. Honestly, I'm not quite sure at this point what episode this is, but I just want to thank you guys just for the amount of listens we've been having and the amount of engaging, just the amount of the the amount that our audience has been engaged. It's been so powerful. And Cassidy and I were just talking about how fun it is to do this, to get to interview people, to get to talk to people, to get to hear people's stories. And I've just been reading through our Instagram messages that we've been getting that Cassidy has primarily been answering, but I've been reading through them and they've just been so powerful and just and and just this notion that we're not alone in this and that there are so many of you who want to know more about this, just like us, that we want to know more about this and we want to be a part of this. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be going through some of the testimony stories, longer questions that were sent to us, uh, along with a couple other questions that we did not cover in our last Q&A episode. We're going to be doing plenty more Q&A episodes. So if you have a story, if you have a question, if you have a statement that you want to make some evidence that you want to share, we want to cover it. We want to be there. We want to share the truth with everybody. And if you have a story you want to share, let's get you on the pod, you know, message us about doing that. I love that. You know, when I was in youth group growing up, I remember that you would raise your hand in youth group and my pastor would say, is this a question or a comment? And if you had a comment, you had to wait till the very end of the message. So I just want to let you know, we're not like, we're not that way here. Actually, we'll take questions. We'll take comments. We'll take stories. So, you know, please do so. Um, Maya has set up a way that if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Maya dash Abraham, um, you can leave us a voice message too, if that's something you're into. Otherwise you can find us on Instagram at the contraception pod or Twitter at the contracept, I think, underscore pod. Um, and you can send us a message. Let us know what's something you're going through. Maybe you're on the birth control pill and you're struggling with um, some kind of um, just side effect that's frustrating and you want us to discuss that. Maybe you've had an IUD and maybe you have a dramatic story about that, you know, actually leaving your uterus, going into your abdomen. Unfortunately, women do have those experiences. Um, or maybe you just have a general question, whatever. We're so here for it and we're very open to discussion here. Yeah, and so to just start us off with our first question, that um, to get this pod started, the first one would be what from from one of our listeners, or what are your thoughts on how society pushes delayed parenthood or the idea that babies are a burden? Um, Cassidy, you want to take this one? Yeah, what an important question. So delayed parenthood, babies are a burden. Isn't that interesting that that's where our society has come to with so much development and change and even like increased wealth for a lot of people over the past, you know, like hundred years or so, um, despite the fact that our society has progressed so much and has so many opportunities for to thrive, really, there are kind of increased feelings and beliefs that children are a burden. So uh, one time that I really started to give this some thought personally was when I was in developmental psychology class in college, and I learned a little something about our stages of human development. Um, There were, when we were, I don't know exactly the period of time, but I would guess probably like the mid 1990s, mid to late, we used to have a transition between adolescence to young adulthood. So that's kind of how it progressed. Early childhood, middle childhood, adolescence, 
and then right into early adulthood. And you would typically see a transition that went from like, oh, you're an adolescent who, you know, you're in school and you're with your family, you're learning to have some bigger responsibilities, but then you go to young adulthood and you probably have, you know, a full-time job. You're taking full adult responsibilities. You're probably getting married. And at that time, you know, you might be even 18 and getting married and having a lifelong marriage. It's really was amazing back then. Um, And nowadays we see people not going into the same responsibilities at the same ages. So what they have now is something called emerging adulthood. Um, Something psychologists have observed is that the behavior towards adulthood has changed. So now rather than going right from adolescence into really serious responsibility, people are more so going into almost like a prolonged period of adolescence. And psychologists suspect that this phase of emerging adulthood is actually lasting from ages 18 to 28. So we're not even really getting into young adulthood until we're 28 years old. So possibly you're not necessarily thinking about having financial stability. You're possibly not thinking about long-term commitment and you're pretty well, definitely not thinking about children until you're 28 potentially in this culture. Isn't that insane how that's changed? Yeah. And I think that, you know, just, yeah, you know, the culture, I want to agree with this person, you know, like it's totally pushing delayed parenthood. Or the idea is that babies are a burden and, and you know it is telling and you know just telling people that you know you can't take on responsibility and tell you blah 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 did this did this did that you know i think you do need to be you know you need to be responsible you know but that calls for like being an adult right being a man being a woman you know um you know um and and, and i want to actually share from one of our listener or one of our messages on instagram just something that really touched me this evening and i think that's something that we all need to hear um she's a protestant she says she's 23 and um and uh she's been thinking about this exact topic this past year she said that it feels like she's just talking with some friends and and she and she was basically stating it's a really long message, but just to sum it up, she says, you know, scripture explicitly calls children a gift and heritage from the Lord. Knowing this, although there isn't a specific verse that we can point to that says, quote, any married couple who rejects God's gift of a fruitful womb is walking the sin. We can know God's heart for us. Look at how he designed our bodies and bring in the principles taught all throughout scriptures. And then she, and she says somewhere else that, um, it seems that children are like the only, the only, uh, the only thing that we don't simply say yes to the God, yes to God. I will joyfully receive the blessings you have for me and receive them with open arms and a thankful heart. And then she, you know, ties it into tithing, um, which I have talked about before on this episode. And I think that's just such a powerful thing to think about is, you know, I was actually listening to another podcast, shout out to what in the dang heck, uh, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners listen to as well, but they were talking about how when you don't when you actively are not doing God's plan for your life that's actually a sin like and think about that you know that's what Adam and Eve did is God clearly told them his plan for his life or their life right but they still turned away from that right which in that just walked brought them into sin right and God explicitly tells us to be fruitful and multiply we're told that children are a gift from the Lord and just and just really think about that you know um how truly, you know, no matter, even if scripture says you cannot, it does not say you cannot contracept, you are directly going against God's plan for sexuality, you know, and I think that's just um, a powerful thing to think on. Um, Cassidy, do you have anything else that you wanted to say on this question as well? But yeah, uh, actually, to answer, actually, answer the question, yes, I think um, 
that society pushes delayed parenthood or in the idea that babies are a burden. And I just want to, you know, bring that back to, you know, that kind of that tithing example again is God, God always blesses, blesses, um, blesses you when you give, when you give your fertility to him, when you give your money to him, you know, he promises to bless you tenfold. So instead of seeing babies as a burden, as the culture has taught us to see them, see them as a joy, see them as a, as a, as a blessing, see them as an opportunity to, um, to love because love is hard. You know, that, you know, God, Christ literally died on the cross for us, but he, it wasn't, he never saw it as, oh, you know, like this is just so burdensome and so awful and so hard. He took it on willingly because he loved each and every one of us. And that's what children are supposed to be. They're supposed to, you have to sacrifice for your children. I'm not going to negate that in any way. You have to sacrifice for anyone you love. You know, if you're dating, if you're married, you do have to sacrifice First of all, your ego, right? You have to, you know, you have to pick up their socks off the floor sometimes, you know? You're going to have to take care of them when they're sick, when they're dying, you know? Their love requires sacrifice. And um, and a child is the perfect opportunity that God is giving you to enter even deeper into his passion, to enter even deeper into love for you. So there needs to be that perspective change of, of you know, just really thinking about that verse, you know, like, my yoke is easy, my burden, um, my burden light, you know, um, when you give it to God, your burden will be light. When you give your fertility to God, when you give your children to God, when you give God your plan for your life to God and let it be his plan, your burden will be light. And only will your burden be heavy when it's not on, on God. So anyway, um, sorry, I thought it was done. And it was like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> God gave me more inspiration. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yeah, so good. Uh, it's true though. You know, our culture does promote the belief that actually that we're better off as adults without children, that we will enjoy our lives more without children. And it's really sad because our culture is against children and we have to ask the Lord to give us discernment, to look at our own lives correctly as young women, you know, um, and maybe if they're young men t- turning it, tuning in right now, like, like I mentioned about the stage of emerging adulthood and how our culture has changed so drastically to where we now spend 10 extra years of our life in basically extended adolescence, where we're just not really sure we're ready to commit. We're not really sure we're ready to take anything seriously at all. You know, is and, that what God wants yeah. you to be? Exactly. And I feel like life is always going to come crashing down on you, no matter how many years you wait, no matter if you're 28 and you've been saving up for 10 years or, or, you know, you've taken all the training and adult and pair read all the parenthood books and did all of that it's always going to come crashing in your face right like there's always going to be something that's going to go wrong and trials <laughs> right and i think it's just um you know it it really goes back to um calling ourselves higher calling our spouses higher calling them to a higher standard right and ultimately if we just keep saying well oh like I can wait a couple more years for that or blah, blah, blah. You know, like you're missing a really big part of life. And this is not, this is not to shame anyone who's not, who's 28 or older and not married or something. No, not at all. But if, you know, that's God's plan for your life and we have to be open to whatever God's plan for our life may be. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, it pushes delayed parenthood 
but really I think that society pushes delayed parenthood once you're married too, which is so sad, you know, of uh, this, this idea that I can get married and just not even think about having children because love is just, is just, love is just, um, it's just for fun, right? Just so we can go on vacations yearly and not spend that on children. Like, no, no, like love is about sacrifice. And, um, and that's when, you know, you know, it's, true and real love. So, so just to quick add a little comment from about this, you know, delayed parenthood thing we've been talking about, there's a great book called start your family by Steve and Candace waters. And it's a really good book written by Protestants who are examining, you know, why does everyone want to delay having children? Why is it that everybody thinks having a child is just something we need to put off as long as possible. They have this quote, an analyst on the popular real estate website, Zillow, recently blogged about how smaller families are living in larger houses. He pointed out that since 1940, the average U.S. home has grown from 1,500 to almost 2,500 square feet, while the average U.S. family has decreased from 3.7 people to 2.6. Wow. No longer are bedrooms crammed with bunk beds and toy chests. The suburbs, once a haven for flourishing families, now boast spacious dwellings with three and three or more bedrooms filled with um, with exercise equipment, computers, and craft supplies. Women are better educated than ever before and in more ways than one. They know all about sex, all about it. Since the elementary years, we've been schooled in birth control, preventing STDs, getting an abortion, and more. Yet for all they've learned, more than any generation before them, they're woefully uneducated about their own fertility. Repeatedly, surveys by fertility organizations reveal that the majority of women worldwide are ignorant about such basic facts as when their fertility began to decline, how rapidly, as well as how difficult pregnancy becomes after age 40, despite advances in assisted reproductive technologies. In 1963, Betty Friedan described a problem with no name. She said educated women felt trapped in suburbia, gazing longingly towards unrealized opportunities in corporate offices. Today, women enjoy those opportunities in the workplace, but often find themselves looking out their corporate windows, wondering about life with the family. Writers ranging from conservative Danielle Crittenden to liberal Sylvia Ann Helwitt describe women who find it tragic that their corporate successes came at the expense of having the opportunity to invest in children. Crittenden writes, in the richest period ever in our history, the majority of mothers feel they have no choice but to work. In just 30 years, Howitt says, we've gone from fearing our fertility to squandering it, and very unwittingly. That's what we've come to, that's what it's come to. The success of women in 21st century are diminished by their sacrifices. For all our relative wealth, we can't afford babies. For all our learning, we don't understand the limits of fertility. For all our advances as women, motherhood seems unreachable just really interesting perspective there. Like we've had so much change in our culture and we think we've achieved so much, but we've also come to be completely, just a completely lost in understanding of fertility and just we've lost the correct priorities about family. So really excellent read. Strongly recommend getting a copy of Start Your Family by Steve and Candace Waters for more insight on that. Wow. Yeah. That, that's so powerful. Wow. Well, just to kind of tie into that, I want to read this next story from someone that will keep anonymous. Um, just, um, and I'd like our listeners to really listen to this, you know, and understand, you know, we really understand that this is, um, this can really, um, tear at our heartstrings and really, um, just be really hard. And so we, we are here for you. We, you know, we want to be able to, um, you know, we're praying for you and we want to be able to just help you through this time. So I'm going to read this and yeah. 
So this lady says, I'm a married woman. Well, sorry. I'm a married woman using NFP for almost 10 years, my entire marriage. NFP has been extremely hard for my husband and I. We have three kids and my cycles can be erotic, misovulation, super short infertile phases, etc. And two of our kids were surprises, which we were open to, but very surprised because no NFP rules were broken. We've used several methods. I've trained to be an instructor in one method. In short, I know a lot. Something that I've been wrestling with a lot lately is how the part of the cycle when I am most desiring sex ovulation time is when we can't be intimate with nfp it seems unreasonable and like this wasn't something really fully considered by the people who are drafting the articulation of catholic church teaching i have serious doubt that many if any women were consulted there is no mention of how big a sacrifice this is for the women and this weighs heavy on my heart a lot of the sacrifices attributed to the man the man must sacrifice because he's always fertile and many men have a higher sex drive in our marriage we feel like the Kids we have are all we can reasonably care for at this time. I've done many things, medicine, herbs, changing my schedule to work on having higher libido during my infertile times with minimal success. Would you mind addressing this topic on your new show? Um, the first thing I want to say, you know, is just like, I hear you, you know, it, um, it can be hard. Like it can be really hard to, um, to, you know, surrender ourselves to what God has in our lives. And also just, you know, that whole situation just sounds like it's, it's a lot and you're doing a lot and kudos to you for just leading, you know, being an amazing mom and still, you know, trying to figure this out and discerning God's will in your life. I just think that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, to this mom, like, first of all, like, I'm sure that this has been really challenging. I've, you're not the only woman who feels that way. There's a website called natural womanhood. And I know I've seen posts from them before. I've read one from a woman who shared very similar struggles that during the ovulation period, that is when, you know, women most desire to be physically intimate. It's just true. Um, I, there's the book called how the pill changes everything by Dr. Sarah Hill. She talks about, um, how this is like inside our bodies. We actually, um, it's a normal physiological process for us to desire to be intimate the most when, um, when we're in that fertile window. So physiologically it makes sense because God created us to, you know, to have families. And so it makes sense that at the time you were able to have a child that you most long to be intimate. Um, and it, but it is very difficult if, um, you're going through a time of, you know, not being certain if, um, maybe if God's leading you to grow your family and you're being prayerful about that, it is very difficult. Um, I've heard from, you're talking to, you know, when you send this in, you're talking to two single women. So not that we can talk to this from experience, but, um, you know, I've heard other single women, like if you go back to our other um, episode of, called being open to life after a severe pregnancy diagnosis with Kayla Pomper. Kayla mentioned that for them during, um, the fertile window, if they're, um, abstaining that it helps her to think about how they can be romantic in other ways. So I'm not sure if that's helpful. I'm sure with however many years you've said it, maybe 10 years of using NFP. I'm sure you've thought a lot about this already. One thing that I would say you may not find helpful, but I just want to share this with you. Is it possible? You know, you've gone through a lot of times of, feeling like this is just difficult and it's really hard to, to abstain during the time that I most long to be intimate. Is it possible? Maybe that God is opening the door to grow your family. You know, may, is it possible that God might have another child in store for you? Yeah. And I think I just want to, you know, you know, I want to just say, you know, really take this to prayer with your husband. Right. And, um, you know, really discern what this, and I'm sure you're already doing this, but what this is for you. And I just want to share a little personal story from this. You know, I come from a rather big family and nine children and, um, 
and my parents did NFP as well um, after my dad converted to Catholicism. And my parents definitely did not have the money to have more children all the time, right? You know, like um, they never knew like where, you know, my dad was laid off. There's all these things, you know, like sometimes they just didn't know where their next paycheck was coming from. And my mom will attest to this when she gets on the podcast as well. But every time that they got pregnant, God blessed them abundantly, gave them, gave, I mean, people like God would provide for us literally the exact amount of money we would need, even though, you know, it could, it was stressful, you know, um, my dad would get you know, like a promotion or get like, you know, he owns his own business, but he would get, you know, like, uh, you know, like more money coming in, like every single time without fail, it always worked out. And so I just want to, I just want to share that, you know, um, this from my heart, just share that, you know, it can be so hard to look at the circumstances you're in right now and just think I can never do this. Um, I could never have more children. I could, um, I could, you, I couldn't move forward at all. But if that, if there's such a desire on your heart, you know, and maybe it is, you know, God asking you, God saying, hey, you know, would you take my hand in this? Would you, would you, um, would you just, you know, um, let me be more a part of this with you? And since you've been doing NFP for 10 years, I know you're already, you know, thinking this too. And so I just want to, I just want to encourage you just to, just to take this to prayer and say, God, let me be an instrument of your peace and of your love. Um, and I, and just, just have that trust in God that he will bless you tenfold because I believe he will. I know he will. I've seen it done in my life when I've given just a little bit, you know, of what I have, he always gives back. And I just want to encourage you because, you know, we are two single women and I'll have my mom cover this in her next, um, and when she comes on with us, but I want to just really encourage you take this to prayer. We are praying with you. I want you to know that I pray over every single comment and every single message and every single podcast episode. And I am literally like, as Cassidy, I have my eyes closed right now, just praying, you know, as my words come out, because I just pray just so hard that, um, as just the Holy Spirit, just, you know, you know, comes down on you and just, you know, just clears, you know, that vision, you know, of, um, just with the gifts, you know, the gifts that he gives us and of just understanding of wisdom, of, of fortitude, you know, just of everything. And I just pray that you have peace and not knowing what God's plan might be for your life, but no, but also knowing that God will always, and I say that with a hundred percent guarantee, bless you tenfold. It may not seem like it's so, sometimes, but he will, he will. And he's looking at your whole life right now. He's looking at you being born. He's looking at you dying right now. And he knows what's best for your life. And so I don't know what's best for your life. I'm not in your circumstance. I don't know your circumstance, but for any woman that's struggling with this, I want you to know that. And I also want you to know that first of all, I do know that there are there were some women, you know, consulted on um, on NFP methods and rules and et cetera. And I want to say this: that it is hard. It it will always be hard if you're using if you're taking that time to abstain. And um, 
And I can say that as a not even a married person, right? Um, I know that during my time of ovulation, more turned on, you know, you know, um, and I know that's the thing. And I know that it would be so, you know, like if I were married, yeah, it would probably be pretty dang hard to abstain during that time. But I, I also know the role that women, us women, we have is, you know, is um, we have a beautiful responsibility and a beautiful sacrifice that we're called to make in that moment. And if you're Catholic, I don't know if you're Catholic, but, you know, that's what our priests and our nuns, you know, what they're giving to God is there is is, you know, their fertility, right? And they're using it to be, you know, spiritual mothers and fathers instead. And they're taking the hardship of being celibate. And um, what's the word for women, you know, celibate, and then, um, well, we'll just say, you know, like, chase, you know, you know, they're, you're, they're taking that and giving it as a sacrifice to to God you know, and for love. Right. And so I just want you, you know, there, I, I don't like, sometimes I'm like, I don't know how, like they would do that, you know, their whole lives, but just think about that. Think about why they do that. They do it for love. They do it because they have such a higher connection, you know, like just like spiritualness, you know, that I don't even, I don't know. I don't even get, but, you know, just think about that. Like they're giving their entire lives abstaining. Right for God, for love. And, um, and I think that's just something, you know, I want to, I wanted to point out here and, um, you know, our bodies do, like Cassidy said, they do crave, you know, um, they, um, they are, you know, what's the word, you know, like longing or there's more longing during the ovulation time, but it's because God made you, made us so that we would be fruitful and multiply, right? That we would share our love across the world. As Father Mike Schmidt says, you know, love creates, right? And, um, and ultimately, you know, going back to that tithe thing again, but, you know, like we're called to give that to God, right? And he'll bless you tenfold. That's all I'm going to say on that. Um, Cassidy has more to say, so I will back off. (laughs) No, thank you for sharing, Maya. Um, There's a really good book. It's a short booklet I would refer you to called Having More Children Who Follow Christ by Holly Ellis and Bill Ellis. It's a really powerful book. Um, They talk about um, being Protestants. So um, I think the person sending this this comment is probably Catholic, most likely. So it's sometimes hard a little bit for Catholics to understand us as Protestants because we we sound a little bit like just very undiscerning and uninformed about the issue of contraception, which I don't completely blame me for thinking that because we don't ever study it. And we don't talk about it from the pulpit or in our Bible studies hardly at all. Um, but this couple basically they were using contraception and then they started to be like, wait a second, am I really honoring God in that? And so this perspective, I think also applies to your question, um, kind of in a different way, but I'm going to just read you a little bit from what Holly Ellip had to say. So this is when they started to be like, okay, wait, am I going to, are we going to keep doing contraception or no? She said, we began asking questions like, why are other parents choosing to have more children? Do we have a good reason for wanting only four children? In fact, do we have any right to determine how many children we will have? What does the Bible have to say about this? It had never before occurred to me to ask God what he thought about this area. I had never wondered, is there any sense in which I might be resisting God's sovereignty and controlling the size of my family? Out of our concern, we went to one of these godly couples for advice. Their counsel was to do a biblical study on the topic of childbearing. About two weeks after we began the search, my husband came out of his study and said to me, 
God has just given me the neatest mental picture of somebody sitting on my front porch and looking out and seeing scores of children out there. We have every temperament type represented and we have every spiritual gift represented. And our children know how to relate to everybody in the world because they have lived with all different types of people. Mm -hmm. He was ecstatic. I said to him, well, that's easy for you to say because I'm the one wearing the stretch pants for the next 20 years. I'm sorry, but I just don't want to go there. It was frightening for me to think of taking my hands off that area of my life. My worst nightmares were of wearing maternity clothes for the rest of my life and weighing 400 pounds. I had a vision of mothers of large families that was not flattering and I did not want to be one. But I was troubled about this issue. And so for six months, I searched the scriptures for every reference to children and to childbearing. To be honest, I was looking for a way to avoid releasing control of that area of my life. But what I found over and over was that children are a blessing and that God is the one who opens and closes the womb. I was reminded that God is the creator of life and that he knows who he wants to create, that he knows what people are going to look like before they are born, that, and that he has a plan for every person. In short, it's all his business. I remember one night sitting down at my kitchen table and making a list. At the top, I wrote reasons I don't want to have a million children. I began to record all the objections to what I was seeing in God's word. There were a lot of fears on the list. Things like, what, what would this do to my physical body? Will I be pregnant every nine months the rest of my life? Can we afford this? Can we love a larger number of children? What will other people think? As I put down the pencil, I realized that everything on my list was rooted in selfishness. It became clear to me that this was a hard issue. It was a matter of my choosing to let God be the Lord of this area of our, our family, as I wanted him to be in every other aspect of my life. How ironic that Bill and I prayed about what to do with our money, where to pastor, and what car to buy. But in this area, it was, if, it was as if we had said, this is ours to determine. For the first time, I was confronted with the fact that I had never said, Lord, what is your will for our family size? Finally, Bill and I became convinced through God's word and by his spirit that we were to release this area of our life totally to him. We stopped using birth control. Since then, God has given us six more children, two of whom were in heaven. Looking back, we don't have a single regret about our decision, and we can't imagine what we would have missed without those six children, these six children in our lives. In telling our personal story, I don't mean to suggest that every family has to be just like ours. But I do believe our family story, along with the stories of many other large Christian families, cast a light on a crisis that has been brewing largely unnoticed for decades. The crisis is this. As believers who live in a mostly material-based country on earth, many of us are choosing not to have many children or even not to have any children at all. Is that really what God wants? After all, logic suggests that fewer children born in Christian families means fewer children being exposed to the gospel, coming to know Christ and sharing the good news of his salvation to the world. A woman who has two children and whose children produce two children for 10 generations will, by the 10th generation, have 1,024 offspring. But a woman who has four children, whose children each have four children, will, by the 10th generation, have 1 million, uh, let's see here, 48,448 descendants. God may have a bigger agenda for us than we could possibly imagine in choosing to have and raise more godly children. If Christian families open their hearts to that possibility, then potentially hundreds of thousands of believers could change the face of our culture in every realm. And that was Holly Aleph. So just, I know that was kind of a long uh, thing to read, but I really hope that that will just give our listeners something to think about that, um, you know, God might be calling you to grow the size of your family bigger than you expected. And that if he calls you to that, 
he will provide. Like Maya said about her family and how when her parents were open to life, God always came through for them, you know, and even look at Maya, you know, she's from a big family and she's a CEO of a pro-life organization. She is, you know, living independently on her own at like 18, doing her own thing. Like children from big families can go on to achieve great things too. There's a great future ahead that God has planned for your children. And there is hope for them. And for you guys, even as you go through some of those hardships of raising young children, of educating them of all the different challenges that go with that, God is faithful and he does provide. Amen. That was, wow. That was a really lovely read. And I really liked how his vision at the beginning, where he was basically saying like, they knew how to interact with like, so with all people in the world, because they grew up with all types, different types of people. And mm-hmm. I, I just have to say like, that is so true. Like I, we've, our family has had multiple people approach them and say, I don't know, like my parents have, like, they're like, I don't know how your kids, like how you do it, but your kids like get along with everyone. And let me tell you, like my little siblings don't even notice if someone has like has like a mental problem or issue or whatever like they treat them like they're like best friends or and you know like like some just a normal person you know and it's just it's crazy to me because like I've never seen like 10 year olds 13 year olds seven year olds five year olds like interact so well with people and just make those people feel so loved but yeah that's so true that really stuck out to me um I want to read the next question um is it true that the birth control pill was historically developed with a withdrawal bleed to try to appease a pope as to show the pill still allowed normal female physiological processes such as a monthly period? I'm going to make the answer to this one kind of short. There are a couple of things I want to touch on. The first one being, no, that's not necessarily true. Um, it was kind of brought up like as an uh, as kind of a, an excuse to kind of justify it to the pope when it started seeming like he wasn't you know, going to go for it. But originally, because the hormones were so high in the original birth control pill, it was necessary for women to get off of it for at least seven days because of um, because it literally, you know, like Cassie was saying earlier, like it would cause a stroke. I mean, like women felt awful when they were on it. So it was necessary that women got out off of it, um, were off of it and also um, allowed the hormones to get out, out of them, I guess it's the way to say it. Um, like all like of- have like, not that high dose of synthetics yeah. that they might have at other points in them. It, it was a necessity that had to happen. And, um, and I was going to say one more thing on that point. Um, and, and the, another thing being that also, you know, it was also confirmation to the women that they weren't pregnant and, um, and, and there was, and, and then yes, it has been called, you know, quote unquote, like the Pope rule, but let's just, you know, first of all, it's now known that it is not a period, right? It's a withdrawal bleed, a withdrawal bleed, sorry. It is not a period, first of all. And second of all, it, um, and, and so even if, even if it's called, you know, you know, called, you know, the, it, it, the Pope rule or whatever people like to call it, you know, to appease the Pope. And the fact is that it is not a woman's normal physiological process. So even if it was done to please the Pope, we now know that that is not a period. That is not your body's normal, you know, physiological process. So it shouldn't, you know, it, 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 and, it and, and that's why it doesn't, you know, appease the Pope whatsoever, because it is not the woman's normal physiological process. So that's just a kind of short answer to that is that number one, um, it was necessary back then to have that withdrawal bleed. And I would even say, you know, like 
you know, I would say I would go so far as to debate, like, I think it's, you know, probably still good for you in some way, you know, to get all the, you know, synthetic hormones right out of you. And then the second thing being, um, the second thing being that it is not a normal physiological process. And so that was not the only reason, like it, that just a piece of Pope is not the only reason that there was a, um, uh, a quote unquote monthly period because it's mm-hmm. not a monthly period. Yeah. Um, I think too, like, it looks like when this is proposed, it was more like the developer of the pills, like maybe we can get the Pope to like buy into this if mm-hmm. we make it look like it's natural, because I think who is the Pope at that time? I don't know. Um, um, when the, the birth control bill. Um, I would assume, I would assume that it, let me just look. Um, okay. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. But basically whoever the Pope was like, I, I'm thinking that the pill developer was understanding that the Pope had a great valuing of, of natural law and of natural processes as God had made it. So I thought, Hey, if we disguise it and make it look like this is natural, maybe the Catholic church will adopt it. And they failed because the Catholic church did not adopt it. Thank God. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's Pope Paul VI who wrote Humana Vitae and was also like the Pope in the 1960s. So mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd assume it would be him. Yeah. Okay. Either way. Well, he wasn't sold yes. by their. Even if it wasn't the Pope, you know, it's just like natural law, right? The Bible, the scriptures, right? You know, the Catholic church, you know, at the time, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, I, I, um, like even, even if like, let's say let's just say it's completely true we only did it to piece of pope well it didn't you know it didn't appease it didn't him so, <laughs> so yeah so that is all our that concludes all our questions for the day um cassidy is there anything else that you want to add into this episode at all i want to thank each of our listeners for tuning in today to the contraception pod we're so grateful you were here with us um as we mentioned at the beginning of this pod please send your questions to us we're so open to those maya and i are super grateful to have you here with us we hope you have an amazing day Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Please, please, please give us a rate and review. We really want to get this message out to people. Follow us on Instagram, share our Instagram graphics, send us ideas, send us things you want to talk about. And I know that there was someone who sent, and I mentioned this in the first one, sent a question in about, um, about like socialism and contraception, which I mentioned, I just want to reemphasize, we're going to do an episode on its own about that. Well, thank you all for listening and have a blessed day and an amazing week.